Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. So what we're going to do is actually uh, finish, uh, partially finish something we've been talking about since uh, July. We've been doing this thing we've been calling The Way, where we walk with Jesus. Jesus is walking uh, through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem for his final days and his crucifixion. And so as he walks through hostile territory, we've been walking with him. And today, uh, we're going to take a break. This is the last one of these, uh, probably until mid to late January, as we pivot next week. Pastor Nick has a message that we think is important for the season. And then in December, we'll actually kind of be more in the Christmas mindset and kind of working through the various themes and gifts that uh, God brings us in Christmas. And so this week represents sort of the last one of these for a while. So I thought, why not go out on top with um, one of the more difficult things Jesus has ever said? And so um, what we're going to talk about today is offensive division and the agony of fire. So how about, yeah, all right, good job, Jesus. Um, So while we're going to talk about offensive division, let me just start by getting you all offended and divided. It's Thanksgiving week. So here in the room, online as well, get your emoji fingers ready. Um, I got to know, when we get to turkey, just talk turkey here. Everybody's going to, you know, dig into turkey. White meat or dark meat, just we're going to do a little thing. So if you're going to be a white meat person, you can figure out how to emojify that. I'm not sure. And if it's dark meat. So who is a white meat person in the room? Just in the room, white meat. All right, we'll pray for you. Dark meat. Who's dark meat? Yeah, the righteous. Look around. Let's find each other. Okay, here's the other thing. You're all wrong. So next... Who's a ham person? Who's like, no, no, it's ham all day long? Yeah. How many times do you cook a turkey any other time of the year? Never. Okay. This is why you're all wrong still. Ham is still wrong. At my house this year, we're doing lamb because Jesus, the lamb, right? No? All right. Well, I won anyway. So um, enjoy your Thanksgiving. I'm glad we're all divided now. Send me emails. Send me your emails about the reason I should probably try turkey even though nobody ever puts a turkey in the oven in like May. Or send me an email in May when you're actually making a turkey. We'll talk then. Okay, I think that was called talking turkey, as they say. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to get through difficult things Jesus said, and we're going to read through them together and then unpack them together. So let's do that. Uh, Jesus says this, quote, I have come to bring fire on earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism to undergo, And what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That sounds like your Thanksgiving coming up. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? And as you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled along the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge may turn you over to the officer, and the officer throws you into prison. I tell you. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So let's acknowledge. Jesus has said some difficult things. This is uh, near the top of the list. 
Jesus, the great uniter, tells us he's coming to bring division. Jesus, the prince of peace, tells us he's coming to separate families. He wishes there were fire on earth and it was already kindled. So, division. Christmas is coming. We got the trees set up. We're giving gifts. We're thinking about it. Black Friday's coming. You got things circled on your list. Peace, peace on earth, and mercy mild. Jesus says, nope, division. This is the offensive nature of the teaching of Jesus Christ. And this is a challenging day for those of us who call ourselves believers, and it's probably a more challenging day for those of us in the room who say, I'm not quite there yet. I got doubts. I'm not sure. And I would say, this is the challenge that Jesus puts in front of us, and it's important, like, The presence of doubt is not the absence of faith. Remember that. As we go through this, the presence of doubt does not mean the absence of faith. And so it's okay to go, that's hard, but I think I still want to believe that. I don't know, but something in me says it's still true. So as we get there, let's go through that way. What's most divisive and offensive about Jesus is that he requires us to believe in him in order to have salvation. What's the most offensive thing about Jesus is he requires people's belief in him to be saved. In all of his teaching, he never allows another path to redemption. He doesn't allow another path to salvation. He doesn't allow a path to heaven, to eternity, to salvation, to hope, other than through him. He declares himself to be the way. So we would say Jesus offends the way of the world by introducing himself as the way. And that's kind of the whole point of this series is Jesus goes through difficult places and hostile territory. He doesn't back away from the truth that he says, I am the way. There is no other way. And so for a world who's found a thousand other ways to success or status or significance, this creates deep offense because he's turning the world upside down on people. Because what he's saying is you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You're helpless when it comes to your own salvation. Your effort is worthless as you try to climb the ladder. And so for many, that's deeply offensive because people we know, I've said this before, before I was walking with Jesus, I would say I'm a pretty good person. Isn't it like a scale? I do more good things than bad things. Isn't that how it works out? And then in the last day, like St. Peter and the pearly gates, and if, I'm, if I've just got more on the good scale than bad scale, doesn't that work that way? And Jesus says, no one is good except the one who the Father sent. See, our whole cultural construct is based on achievement up the social ladder. You get good enough grades, you advance to the next grade. You're the top salesman or saleswoman in your company, you get commissions, rewards, bonuses, promotions. Top academics get rewarded with tenure. Even on social media, you become a great Instagrammer. There are perks to be had. We went to a wedding of a friend of ours a couple years ago who's an Instagram influencer. She's got tens of thousands of followers. And Instagram is a very lucrative place if you have great popularity. So everywhere they travel, when they arrive at the airport, there's a Lexus waiting for them on the curb with keys in it with her name on it. And the, the, the thing is, no matter where they go in the world, there's a Lexus waiting for them. Why? Because Lexus wants to be on her Instagram feed. So her agreement is, all I have to do is take a picture with this Lexus somewhere along the trip, and they will continue to provide a free Lexus for me everywhere I go. So on Instagram, if you just do it well enough, there's rewards on the other end. You cross whatever the threshold might be through your charisma or your talent or effort. The construct of our world is that gets you to move up. That gets you advancement. Our world says achievement rises, achievement wins. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, doesn't work like that. I don't work like that. The world doesn't work like that. The world wants you to believe it works like that, but the way that we're going on doesn't work like that. There's no rules you can follow well enough. There's no religion or or rituals that you can do faithfully enough. There's no financial gifts you give that are big enough. There's no success or sin victory or victory lap you take over that habit you just beat. There is no threshold of effort, Jesus would say, 
You have to believe in me. So the rich young ruler comes along and he says, hey, I'll do anything. How do I get eternal life? And Jesus goes, yeah, sell it all and, and follow me. Believe in me, follow me. Scripture says the rich young ruler went away sad. Jesus says, I'm life where all wealth is just emptiness. It's, it's temporary. Nicodemus comes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you have to be born again. You have to believe that I am the one I say I am. You're dead unless you believe in me, Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm life where the best theology is just emptiness. It's, it's temporary. Religious leaders and powerful politicians didn't like Jesus. Why? Because he's flipped the world upside down on them. He offends the way of the world by introducing himself as the way, and he refused to accept the path to power. Instead, he gave hope to the hopeless. Instead, he gave healing to the sick. And the people that worked their way to the top of the ladder in religion or politics or finance were wildly offended because all of the things they had done to be at the top of the ladder, Jesus undercuts. Jesus just knocks the ladder over. Tells them the way to find their life is to lose all that they'd worked for. That's what he says. The way to find your life is to, to lose everything you've worked for. The way to find salvation is to actually give up on trying to be saved. The only way to find your life is to lose what you've been living for. So who are the people that sought out Jesus on his ministry? Who are the people who, who run to Jesus, who find Jesus, who cling to Jesus? The prostitutes, the lepers, and the tax collectors and the outcast, and the marginalized. Why? Because they're drawn to his, his grace and his compassion. Why? Because he came to divide and separate. He's separating past from future. He's separating who you were from who you might be in him. People who are anxious to leave behind their brokenness and their shame run to Jesus. People who are anxious to leave behind brokenness and shame run to Jesus. People who are anxious to hold on to achievement and status and significance hold Jesus off because he threatens them. Jesus is dividing old and new. He's bringing division between past and future. It's like getting married. You cannot get married and stay single. It doesn't work like that. Once you go down and you fulfill the covenant, you say the words, you get the contract, you sign the paper, you're married. You can't be married and stay single. It requires that the past be undone. And the future is a new thing, and it starts from there. But when you get married, you, if you marry somebody who has a bigger bank account than you, all of a sudden their bank account's half as big as it used to be because you own half of it. Similarly, unfortunately, my experience, when you marry somebody who's got some debt to their name, some student loan debt, when you get married, I got all this extra student loan debt out of it. How's that work? Well, because who I was before we signed this contract doesn't exist anymore. If I'm going to do this thing, I can't be single and keep myself private, but also be married and share all the goodness. I, it's one or the other. When you become married, your time is not your own. Men, don't nod. Don't nod. Your plans are not your own. Your friends are not your own. You, I was telling my wife this week, my kids were out of the house for several hours, and my wife was out of the house for several hours. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I actually have no idea. What do you do when your whole life is revolved around other people? You know what I did? I ended up raking. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't know. What am I going to do? I guess I'll go rake for a while. When you get married, you give yourself to something new. The single you is gone. Marriage actually brings division. No one thinks of it that way. We're there because we have a unity candle. We should have a division candle where you take a sword and chop off your family's candle because you're on a new family now. 
You have to divide yourself from who you were in order to become who you're going to be. You have to let go of, I'm the son or the daughter and I have to be the husband or the wife. Can you live as a single person while you're still married? If you were trying that, I don't think it's probably going very well for you. You can't live as a single person and be married. In order to be wholly new, you have to leave the entirety of the old. Can you see how this causes division then when we talk about it through Jesus? Jesus is saying, you can't take on this new thing. You can't be part of the new kingdom. You can't be part of the thing I'm bringing and hang on to the old way of life. You can't be neutral about me. Jesus says, you can't be casual about me. You can't ride the fence with me. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You have to choose. Life is gray. I'm the grayest person you'll ever meet. Everything is gray. There's always context and nuance and there's angles and perspectives. Gray everywhere. This isn't gray. Jesus says it's black and white. You're either with me or you're not. You either accept me or you reject me and you can't be in the middle. I come to divide, to make a line and push to either side. Either he is who he says he is and your entire life is flipped upside down and you live for him over every other pursuit or he's a liar who isn't who he says he is or he's a delusional lunatic who needs to be ignored. Jesus says, I came to bring division, which means you can't be neutral about me. I have come to bring fire on earth. How I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I'm under until it's completed. So he came to bring division and then there's this fire he talks about. This baptism. Jesus is distressed. The word here for uh, constraint, also distress, sunikamai. This idea, of it's, it's like a city is being besieged with great pressure on all sides, with great weight being pressed on it. Jesus is experiencing the depth of, di- of distress. Similar word used in Gethsemane. When he's bleeding, he's sweating blood, he's under so much pressure. You go through the holiday season when you begin to wonder if anybody can know the stress and the anxiety you feel. This is God's reminder that Jesus knows. It says he came to bring fire. There's two types of fire in the, in the New Testament. There's Holy Spirit fire and there's cleansing fire of judgment. So we got to look at that real quick because sometimes people think he's bringing fire. That means the Holy Spirit. There's two fires. Luke uh, chapter 3, start reading uh, John's words. John says, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I, Jesus, is coming, and the strap of his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Two things. So he says this winnowing fork, like a a pitchfork, that you would put into a, a mound of wheat that's been threshed and ready to be separated. A winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's interesting. So there's Holy Spirit and fire. There's division again. So he brings up wheat and chaff. This idea that you put the the pitchfork in, the winnowing fork, and on a windy day, you shake that fork, and the chaff, the 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 inedible pieces, the bits, will blow away in the wind. They're really light. And the grain, what you want to save and collect and store and eat, falls. It's heavier. And so you separate out by shaking that winnowing fork in the wind. So you collect the one and store it, and you collect the chaff and you burn it. It's cleansing fire. It's purifying process. You ask the question, what can be cleansed with fire? I was saying I was raking this week. It's the, we already had a 40-foot long, 4-foot high pile of leaves that got picked up by the city, and I'm starting on my second one. I've thought about just burning all the trees in my yard before they drop their leaves, but uh, I called the city. They didn't like that idea, so we're going to just keep raking. But you can't burn the trees. It doesn't really work to burn the leaves in the city. That doesn't work real well. But there are things you can burn, and it actually purifies them. 
precious metal, gold. Flame to gold actually can purify it. I learned this week while looking this up that 24 karat gold is just gold that has 99.9999% purity, meaning it's been put through such a refinement process in the fire that almost every speck of impurity has been removed. It's the purest gold you can get. Well, that's what it is. The fire purifies it. When you buy lesser gold, then it's less pure. It hasn't been refined by the fire as much. It hasn't been cleansed in that same way. I don't know if you see this as good news or bad news, but when God comes to bring judgment, it's actually purifying. You're the precious metal in that sense. You're the precious recipient. He intends to make us pure and whole. So here's the agony of fire. When we lift the communion cup in just a little bit, we're going to pick up our communion cups here in the room. At home, you have your communion cups and elements. In the Old Testament, the cup referred to the cup of wrath and judgment. So when Jesus thinks of that cup as he's walking with his friends in Samaria, Jesus thinks of, when he thinks of the cup, the cup, he's thinking of God's wrath and judgment to be poured out upon the people for their sins. When he drinks of that cup as he reclines with his friends at the Last Supper, he's thinking of the cup of wrath and judgment that will be poured out upon the people for their sins. He's distressed, deepest of agony. Why? Because he's taking it on for us. He's drinking the cup for us. He's taking in that wrath and judgment on our behalf. Yours and mine and everyone else's all weighed in at once. Mark 10, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were asking Jesus if they could be his right hand and left hand when he was reigning in his kingdom. And Jesus says this in verse 38 of Mark 10. He says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? It's always been kind of a quizzical thing to say. You're like, what's he saying? Can you drink the cup of wrath I'm about to drink? Can you withstand the baptism of fire and judgment that I'm about to withstand on your behalf? And since you can't, no is the answer to them. James and John go, oh, we didn't know. So in Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying and he's sweating blood and he says, Father, take this cup from me if it be your will. If there's any other way to satisfy your wrath and your anger, if there's any other way to make world right again, to bring justice where there's been injustice, if there's any other way to do that in Gethsemane, Jesus is praying before he's arrested. If there's any way, take the cup from me. Silence is what he gets. There's no other way. Wrath is going to be poured out. Judgment is on his doorstep. Whose judgment? Mine. Yours. So Jesus came as the spotless lamb in the ultimate Passover, the once and for all king, and he takes the cup of wrath, the same cup that we'll pick up during communion. He takes the cup and he drinks deeply. I will take the wrath owed you. I will take the judgment waiting for you. So he undergoes the agony of fire and judgment for us in our place. So that when you are in Christ and you're judged, you're not judged as you anymore. This is a visual thing. I'm going to need some help doing this. Nick, will you be my helper here? When you're judged in Christ, you're actually judged with Christ as the filter. So those who are found in Christ, if you'll stand on this square there and just, uh, I'll look. So I can't see the camera anymore. Those in the room, you can kind of still see me, but I can't see the camera because Nick's obscured. He's between me and the camera. So if the camera represents God's judgment, then the judgment falls on Christ. 
And as a result, when God looks at me from his position, God looks at me and sees Christ because I'm hidden in Christ. I'm covered by Christ. And Christ has taken on all of my sin and my shame. And so if I'm in Jesus, I'm no longer in line for the same judgment and wrath I was in line for because Jesus took it on for me. Thanks, Nick. We have to understand that there's this Jesus filter that gets placed in our life. When we believe and we follow Christ, God sees us through the lens of Christ. And so we no longer fear judgment as followers of Christ, but we await it as the great justice moment when things are purified. I'm not saying you won't give an account for your life. Scripture's kind of fuzzy and back and forth, and smart people disagree on a lot of things when it comes to what's coming next. What's pretty clear is there is an account to be given for the life we live. That's true. But it isn't that ultimate fire, left or right, heaven or hell sort of judgment, because Christ has taken that on for us already. Those of us who find ourselves in him, we're seen through a different filter, And so we can no longer fear but cheer on the coming days. God's going to make the broken straight again. That's what we're anxious for. God's going to make broken things straight again. He's going to refine them and he's going to get out the impurities. He's going to make the world, remake the world into the way that he originally made it back to this created design. So the widows and orphans and the broken and the martyred and the prostitutes and tax collectors and the scoundrels among us have our day of justice. When things are made right, when brokenness is made whole, when God's eternal justice pours out and finally it's back to where we've always wanted it to be. Do you see how this brings division though? To separate wheat from chaff, to divide old and new, it takes our debt and to wipe it out, it requires something. It requires that we be in Christ I can't move Jesus to the side and still be me and stand next to him. The judgment is still for me. I can't stand on Jesus' shoulders and be like, but I still want to live my life for me. I have to allow Jesus to be the go-between between me. I have to have my faith fully in Christ. And anything less won't stand. Those who reject the proposal of Jesus get what they ask for. He calls himself the bridegroom. He's the groom. Multiple times he he refers to this wedding idea that he's the groom and we, the church, his people, are his bride. How do you get to that point? How do you get to the wedding ceremony? The, The groom proposes. Maybe the bride proposes these days, but follow it. The groom proposes, and the bride says what? Well, if she says no, there's no wedding. So she says yes. And then they go through with it, and they make that covenant relationship and they join their lives together, and there's no longer two, but there's one, right? That's what we're taught. There's no longer two, it's one. And so if we're going to be offered by Christ the chance to be found in him, if he's going to get on a knee and propose to us and say, I am willing to lay my life down for you, and all it takes is for you to believe and follow, that's his proposal, and it is up to us to say yes, and then there's no longer two, but there's one. And between us and God, there's just Jesus and we're seen through a new lens and a new filter. Or we say no, and we go, I want to be myself still. I want to be independent. I want to be who I want to be. And he goes, I'm faithful enough to give that to you. Those who can't can't leave behind the old to take on the new, make a choice. Jesus is only offensive to those who reject him. Because you can't reject Jesus in life and claim him in the moment of judgment. And so Jesus is only offensive to those who reject him. 
To everyone else, he's the savior. He's the hope. He's the way. But if you reject him, all of a sudden, it's offensive. Because the only way to make it through the coming fire is by trusting in the way. That's what Jesus teaches over and over. The only way to make it through, the only way to find eternity with him, the only way for salvation, the only way for hope, the only way for grace is him. And that's a difficult thing to say in a world that considers every other way. The way of the world is work harder, be better, do more good. And Jesus says, fine, short of me, there is no way. So the winnowing fork comes and there is no neutral ground. There is no middle ground. His proposal sits in front of us. And the proposal is this. You either leave the king of self to join the king of kings. You either leave the path of death to walk the way of life. Or you don't. And Jesus is faithful to give you your desire. For those who would be faithful to say yes to Jesus. Those who will be faithful to say even through my doubt even through my misgivings, even through the things I don't yet understand, even through the mystery of of faith and God in human form, even through the mystery of that to say there's something in me that knows it's real, that knows it's true. Who will say yes to following along the way, knowing that Jesus wants to open your eyes along the journey? Those who say yes, you encounter grace and beauty and sacrificial love like you've never known before. You encounter hope for tomorrow because you have security in today because you're found in Christ. You're seen through Christ. And you can walk the way without worry of judgment, not worried about the lightning bolts and the raptures and the fires that come. Instead, you get to focus on true life, on living out the life that you've been given, on on fulfilling your created design on participating in the restorative justice work that God is doing here and now. Why are a bunch of people putting together Thanksgiving meals for international students who will be here for a couple years and then move thousands of miles away? People don't have time for that. You've got to do all the things in your How are you making extra turkeys? How are you driving all around town tonight delivering meals? How are you? You don't have time for that. Yeah. When you're found in Jesus, all of a sudden you do because I don't have to check the boxes of the world. I get to pour my life out to display the grace and the beauty and the justice that he's poured into me. How do we have foster parents in this church who have taken on children that have otherwise been abandoned or neglected? How do we have foster parents? How do we have adoptive parents who have taken on children and love children as their own? How do we, no one has time for that. With Jesus as your sinner, when you're following the way, all of a sudden you do have time to do these things because you no longer have to climb the ladder of the world. You can rest upon Christ and know that in Christ you've already been perfected, you have already been purified, and you can chase the things he's given you to chase. You can act in the justice work he's put in front of us. We get to be our best selves only when we find ourselves lost in him. And that's what's on offer today. There is the way of the world, and there's the way of Christ. He proposes and says, what will it be? And he is faithful to give you your desire. Let's pray. Lord, the difficult words of Scripture, the difficult words of Jesus present hurdles for all of us. Father, my prayer in this room and online for all of the hearts hearing these words today. God, my prayer is that we would know for sure what our choice would be today. 
not in some sense of fear that, that there's a choice to be made and tomorrow could be the last day. While that's true, Father, you draw people in through grace and love and hope. So Lord, my prayer is that the hearts in the room, the hearts online that are desperate for hope and desperate for love and desperate for a joy and a grace in this world would know that it's found only in you, that all of the other paths we seek for significance and status, they just lead to the same dead end. Father, my prayer is that you would be the answer clear as day in every heart today. Father, give us the courage to respond with a quiet, I believe. In the quiet of our own souls, as that truth burbles up in us, may we not push it back down for another day, but Father, may we respond with open hands and I believe. You are our hope. You are the way. God, thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice and his salvation. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.